Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. This is powerful. This is, no, this seriously is big news because if you've been a part of Capital Church very long, you do know this. We have never once in the history of the 34 years of this church ever made it through an expository series all the way through. And we are proud of ourselves, but we're mostly proud of you. We love you. How you doing? You good? You glad glad you're at church? You glad you made it to, apparently it's fall. Welcome. I don't know how I feel about it yet, but apparently the good Lord said it's fall, so we're embracing it, right? Hey, I want to give a shout out. We started our capital intern program launch this last week, and we have, wait for it, 52 interns this year. Can we give our interns a hand? Where are you at? Stand up interns, wherever you are. They're all over the place. They're probably serving. We got them all over. Look at them. Look at them. So many good ones serving in the back. Summer and kids are all over there. You'll see 52 interns all. Oh, here comes two of my 52 interns right now. Let's give them a shout out as they come in. <laughs> uh, we have the best group. Honestly, like the best group of young leaders that honestly are going to probably take all of our jobs one day. So we're pumped to teach them. And um, God, we just go to the best church in the world, the best community. And, um, and we get to talk about Jesus. And I don't think there's a better thing to do on a Sunday morning. Is there? Don't worry, football can be DVR'd, and there's always Sunday night football game you can watch, and also there's Monday night, so you're good. Um, please don't check your fantasy football team, because that will make you go to hell, okay? So, just saying. You're checking your fantasy football while I'm preaching the gospel. Which one of us is more a Christian? I don't know. Definitely not you checking your fantasy team. Oh my gosh, give me more points. I retired from fantasy football because I played in a league with my brother and I was just tired of the verbal abuse and like not setting up my team the way he wanted me to and not accepting trades at the very second he sent me a trade. I'm like, I can't be bothered with this. I want to tell people about Jesus, you know? Fantasy. (laughs) Just kidding. I was just really bad at it. Okay. Colossians 4, this is way more important than anything I'm saying. We're going to go to Colossians 4, starting in verse 2, it says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of, of Christ. I love that. On account of which I am in prison. Remember, this is Paul speaking. He's under house arrest. He's in prison writing this letter to the young Christians in Colossae. Verse four, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Somebody say outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we just give you today. We give you this September 17th, 2017. Lord, we know that this is your day. Lord, you, you orchestrated this day from the beginning of time. You knew every person who would be in this room under the sound of my voice. Lord, you knew the sick situations and circumstances that surround every heart, every mind, every spirit today. And Lord, we thank you that you would be bigger than anything going on in our world or in our hearts. Lord, we trust you with our lives. And God, I pray that today we would leave with hope. 
Lord, renewed hope, renewed faith, and we would know our mission, Lord, as we follow you. So I thank you be your words, not mine today, as we listen to the text. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Well, we have had an amazing um, series. How many of you enjoyed the prison epistles thus far? Hasn't it been phenomenal? Um, We're just about to conclude. Pastor Chris will conclude chapter four next week, and then we have moved on to Philippians, which is one of the best books really in the Bible. So if you've liked Colossians, just wait till we get to Philippians. Uh, It's going to be amazing. But so far in Colossians, we have um, everything that Paul's talking about is very inward looking, right? He's talking to these young Christians. He's telling them how to get their minds right. Uh, There's a lot of false teaching, a lot of um, misguided views that's going on in Colossae at the time. And so Paul is coming to correct it. And he's coming to correct their mind and the way they think. And so that's why we get so so much powerful um, thoughts through Colossians thus far. Remember, we're putting on what? We're putting on Christ. We're putting on the virtue of Jesus. What have we learned? That we're hidden in Christ, right? We're in him. All the old stuff is gone, right? Now we're hidden with Jesus. Uh, We learned that who is our starting point? Jesus. Jesus is our starting point. I love last week, Pastor Chris says, uh, we didn't start from the bottom and now we're here. We started at the top, right? It's not Drake. We're not starting at the bottom. We've started from the top because and through the achievements of Jesus, we have all that we need. Um, One of my favorite messages Pastor Chris preached was exclusion and embrace. Remember, uh, we, we exclude those past things and we embrace those that are around us and we embrace the sinner. We embrace these things. Um, I, I just, I've loved this series and what Paul has been talking to us uh, leading up to this point. Jesus is sovereign over our lives, right? Jesus is foremost. He's, he's above all. He's in all. He's through all. Everything we need to know is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like Paul is trying to make a point very, very clear. Like all you need is what? In Jesus. And he's trying to recorrect and reframe some of their thoughts, their bad thinking, maybe some bad uh, teaching that's come into the church that's kind of confused some of these Christians. And so here we have this new idea to set your mind on things above, Colossians 3 says. And you put off these things and then you put on these things. So everything up until this point, now we enter chapter 4, everything up until this point is what? Inward looking, like what do we need to do as a, as a Christian community and as those who are following Jesus? And then all of a sudden, there's a dram- dramatic shift in the text. Paul loves to do this. And all of a sudden, we go from all this inward thinking, renewing our minds, understanding how to follow Jesus, what it means to think like a Christian. Uh, remember, we don't have to try to get into the family of God. What do we have to learn? how to stay in the family. This is what Paul's telling us. And then all of a sudden, chapter 4 comes, and then it's Complete turnaround. It's no longer about inward. It's about outward looking. Now Paul turns it around to being the mission of what it means for what you've already learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So Paul says, I've given you the tools. I've taught you what you need to know, who you are in Jesus. Now it's time to put it into action. That's what, that's what the start of chapter 4 is all about. It's outward looking. It's missional. It's about others. It's evangelism. It's the Christian mission from the beginning of time. It's about people. All that God does for us is not for what? Just ourselves. It's for everybody. God's purpose for the world is for everybody. Not just you and not just the ones you like, but for everyone. And so Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, he comes in and he so tenderly tells us through chapter 1 and then chapter 2 and then chapter 3 about how good we are in God's family and how God is helping us and he's renewing our minds and he's changing our thinking. And then all of a sudden he goes, now you need to go do something. And that's where we enter chapter four. Now, 
Growing up in church, it seems like a lot of the questions many Christians have at some point in the journey of their, you know, their walk with Jesus is this, where's my place, right? Where's my place in the church? Like, should I be on worship team? Should I serve at the belong booth? Should I work with kids? Should I be on the media team? Should I take that mic from her because I could be better than her? You probably could. Um, but we all want to know our place, Right? This is the age-old question. It's like the human condition, I think, to a point. We want to know where our place is in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, within the church community, with all these things. And what we don't realize is we all have the same place and the same mission, and it's about telling people about Jesus. That's the mission that we're on. Um, we don't like the word missionary, right, because of the connotations that go along with it. You assume, I assume, that means we're going to pick up our lives um, we're going to get rid of our first world lifestyle and just the beauty that is the United States of America. And we are going to move to the most remote place in the world. And we're going to give up all the things we love and we care for so dearly. And we're going to go to an unreached people group and we're going to have to learn their language and their culture. And then we're going to tell them about Jesus and we're going to be afraid to die all the time. That's what we think. That's what we think mission is. And that's what we think being a missionary is. But here Paul corrects it. No, no, no. We're all missionaries. Um, as a young girl, you know, my parents, pastors Ken and Connie, um, planted this church three, four years ago. Pastor Chris and Pastor Kelly are now the lead pastors. And, um, but so I grew up in church. I've been around church my whole life. And, um, you know, when you're a pastor's kid, there's a little bit of pressure to be perfect. Um, and I wasn't far from it, actually. It was definitely not perfect. I had a little bit of a problem growing up. It's not a big deal. I've worked through it, but I kind of tended to exaggerate, and some would call it lying. I don't know if I would call it lying. I would tend to just say I had a wild imagination and loved to talk all the time, you know? Chris and Rochelle would be like, does she ever stop talking? I'm like, no, I don't. Um, but I did kind of have like um, a little bit of a problem with lying, um, um, and I've given it to the Lord. But so I, I remember one Saturday night. Now, listen, there, I was corrected in first service. I'm not good with math, but I, is it 168 hours, Dad, in a week? Okay, I said 68. That didn't sound right. It's like, is that three days? That's not even three days. Um, there's 168. Some of you didn't know that. You're welcome. There are 168 days in a week. Or hours. 100. Oh, God. Why, Lord? I can't even get it right one time. 168 hours in a week. So um, I, I sort of felt like 100 of those hours were spent in the church at 14th and Bannock, downtown, um, 6 a.m. prayer meetings, Wednesday night church, Saturday night church, Sunday morning church, Sunday all day church. Uh, my parents would work on, you know, be in the office. And so as soon as I was done with school, I was at the church. Like I felt like my whole life was the church, you know? So I grew up in that kind of environment. So I really wanted to impress my parents with my spiritual maturity as like a six-year-old, you know. I thought, you know, how can I make my mom and dad proud? Because that is what I live for, you know, at six. You have nothing else to live for but to make sure your parents aren't mad at you. And so I had this great idea as my mom was putting curlers in my hair on a Saturday night, getting ready for church the next morning. I decided, Rochelle just remembered this story, and she's going to love it. So I'm sitting there, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to tell mom and dad something great. And uh, so I, I called my parents. I was like, hey, mom and dad, I feel like I need to tell you something. I feel like God spoke to me. And my parents, like, faces light up, like, oh, my gosh, she's saved. We think she's actually saved. We've been so worried about this, like, demon child 
that just talks all the time. All she does is talk. And um, I was like, well, I feel like the good Lord spoke to me, and I just want to share it with you. And my parents were like, tell us what God said. Tell us what he spoke to you. And I was like, well, he told me I was going to be a missionary, a missionary to Africa. And I remember the, 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 my parents' faces were like, oh, my God, I think they cried probably and, like, hugged me and were like, oh, my. And then mom probably prayed for me, I'm sure, and was, like, anointed me with oil about it or something. She's the best mom. And, so, and I was like, the whole time I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to hell because God didn't tell me anything. I don't even know what God's voice sounds like. I'm not even sure I really believe in God yet. Like, but I go to church all the time, and people talk about God spoke to them. And so I... I'm thinking, oh, well, I mean, it didn't do much damage because they are happy, right? That can be bad. I've pleased my parents. I'm winning in life. Well, remember Saturday after Saturday night comes Sunday morning, and Sunday morning in my life was church. And I remember dad was up there. He was probably playing the trumpet. Dad did everything back then. He preached. He led worship, played the trumpet, closed the service, prayed for everyone, was the hosp- went to the hospital for everyone. I mean, it's like that was how it was done when, you, you know, you're first starting a church. And so I remember dad was closing the worship service. And he's like, you know, God wants to speak to you today. And God, God, God wants to tell you about your future. And he was like, in fact, my daughter, Tracy, <laughs> God spoke to her, and I, Tracy, you come up here, and you tell the church what God told you, and I was like, oh my God, literally the earth will open, and I'm going to be swallowed up into it, like it's been a good life, peace out, thanks Lord, all six years have been great, you know, I'm like, bless God, I hope I made a difference, um, and I was like, I'm tormented. I've never been shy a day in my life, okay, until that moment. I remember sitting there, and I was, like, terrified. And Dad's like, come on, Trace, come tell the church. Come tell the church. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm totally good. He finally coerces me on stage. I, I take the mic. I'll never forget this. I probably went to so many altar calls after that to get saved again because I was pretty sure in that moment, moment I lost my salvation. I get up, I hand the mic, and I, like, look down. I'm like, Dad's like, tell the church, Trace, tell the church. I was like... God told me I was going to be a missionary to Africa. <laughs> and I, you guys, I was convinced lightning was going to strike. I was, I don't think I told, I don't think I confessed to my parents for like 20 years. Finally was like, and they were like, we knew. Like, <laughs> you're not a missionary type. Like, let's be honest. Uh, but it, it, it's funny, I was only half wrong, you know. I was only half wrong as a six-year-old. God did call me to be a missionary. God calls all of us to live on mission. We're all missionaries. We're all called to live this vocational life of telling people about Jesus. And that is all what Paul is trying to say in Colossians 4. You're on mission. You want to know your place? You know what you're called to do? You're so worried about, well, what can I do in this and this and this? And he just says, stop. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're on mission. You're to tell people about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you how you can do that. And that is where we enter Uh, Colossians 4 in our text for today, is Paul essentially telling us, how do you do this? How do you live on on mission? So we see in verse 2, he says, steadfastly, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul is, is, is describing to us our mission, and the first point he makes, this blows my mind, He's not telling us where we should go. He's not giving us like a map. He's not like telling us like, you know, the the ABCs of leading someone to Jesus, giving us a track so we know how to do it and go downtown. What is the first thing he tells us to live on mission and be an evangelist? You go to prayer. It's the first point. 
You will never be able to live on mission if you don't first start with prayer. You'll never do it. So he says, this is the first point Paul makes in understanding your, if you want to know your place, if you want to understand your mission, go to God in prayer. He believes this is the crucial, most important aspect of your vocation, of your job description, of knowing what you're to do and how you're to live, is you start with prayer. So he says this in verse 2. Continue steadfastly. I think the NIV says, devote yourselves. Devote yourselves to prayer. There's several other times, I think five or six other times in the New Testament that we see the same Greek phrase, devote yourselves. And it's all in reference to prayer. Most of it's in Acts. Acts chapter um, 1 verse 14 says all these. This is the beginning of the church, by the way. So P.S., that when the church started is when the mission of prayer started. This is the point since the beginning of the church is this, this, this marriage between prayer and your mission. So he says, Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to what? Prayer. Acts 2.42 says, and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to what? Prayer. Acts 6.4 says, but we will devote ourselves to what? Prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then again, in, in Romans 12, Pastor Paul tells us, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. There's something about devotion. There's something about being devoted, being steadfast, like being, being pers- like persevering in prayer and through prayer, right? What does devoted mean? I mean being loyal. It's staying loyal. In a culture, in a world where we're not very loyal. Like, really? You th- we, we don't even know what that means anymore. We don't know how to stay loyal. We don't know how to stay committed to a job, to relationships, to communities. We don't know what that word means. It, it's literally been ripped from our culture and our, and our cultural memory. And it's got itself into the church. So when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, when it comes to living the life that God has called us to live, when somebody says, you need to pray every day, we think, oh, it seems a little bit extreme. Because we don't know what being devoted even feels like anymore. We don't even know. But here Paul tells us, stay devoted. Be loyal. Be lo- don't give up. Don't give up. Persevere. Keep going in prayer. Keep giving yourself to pray. Remain there. Paul is basically telling us this, that when you are devoted to prayer, when you remain, you continue steadfastly, you persevere, you stay in it, you keep doing it. It's like just a part of your everyday ordinary life. What do you do when you wake up? You wake up, you brush your teeth, you like get ready, you drink coffee, you know, you eat some food, maybe you get in your car and then you stop and get more coffee and then you drink water because you drink so much coffee and then you eat again and you go to work and then you drink more coffee. You know, it's like your everyday ordinary life. Prayer should feel like your everyday ordinary life. It's like eating and breathing and sleeping and waking and getting ready and doing all the things that you so naturally do is what Paul is saying prayer should be like. You want to live on mission? Make prayer the first thing you do. Make it as important to you as brushing your teeth. Make it as normal and natural as eating food in the morning and drinking your coffee. Make prayer. Be loyal to it like you're loyal to coffee. Lord knows I am. You know, but, but we don't do it. 
We don't realize, but this is Paul encouraging us. You want to you get on your mission? You want to know your place? Start with this. Start with prayer. You got you to gotta go. You got to give yourself to be loyal to it. One scholar describes prayer as this, and I love this. Um, you, know, you, you know what happens when you use your phone all day long? Have you ever been on your phone all day long? What happens to it? It dies. You run out of battery. There's no life left. Um, P.S. I just discovered this iPhone people because no one cares about Androids. Don't even know anything about you. Um, iPhone X, 10. What happened to 9? I don't know. And I just got the 7. I failed. Okay. But there's a setting in your iPhone that can tell you how many hours you've spent on all the apps. Let's go see what the difference between you version and iPhone and like Instagram is. No judgment. Um, but there is a setting off point. Okay. But this scholar tells us what it's, we think prayer is like a phone we use all day and we lose power. Prayer is nothing like that. In fact, prayer is the antithesis to that. Prayer is the opposite to that. You know what happens when you pray? You get more power and more energy and you get more of what you need and you don't lose anything when you pray. But see, we think, oh, God, it's exhausting. I have to wake up a little bit earlier. Like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure what to pray. And, and, and we think of it as losing time when actually what it does is it gains time, gains power, resources, all that you need. Power comes through prayer. The power you need to live on mission, the power you need to live on it. You want to have a powerful missional life? The power you need comes only through prayer starts in prayer. And this is what Paul is reminding us. So he tells us, continue steadfastly, devote yourselves to prayer. He's telling us how to pray, right? In this first verse, in when we're, we're trying, what's our mission? Well, he's like, we'll get there. But first, you got to start by knowing how to pray. So we continue steadfastly, we devote ourselves. And the next thing he says is be watchful. In other words, stay alert, be awake, be on guard, right? You need to be alert to what's going on. Paul is probably referencing an Old Testament scripture in Nehemiah when they talk about setting guards around the wall, setting guards that keep watch, keep away from temptation and things that would distract you and things that would come at you, what the enemy would try to bring at you. So he says, you got to do, you got to pray like it's habitual, like it's a part of who you are, like breathing and eating and sleeping. And then as you're praying, you got to be watchful. You got to be on guard. You got to be careful what's going on. It's the same Greek word watchful here in Colossians that we find in Matthew 26 in the suffering garden when Jesus goes to the garden with his disciples and does what? He prays. He tells the disciples what? Watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. It's the same word. Be on guard. Watch what I have to do. Watch what I'm doing. See, but the the problem is we don't necessarily want um, we don't want to be on guard. We want Jesus to be the fence, right? No offense, Fred Hammond. I loved that song, that gospel song growing up. But we just, we want Jesus to be the fence. Do you remember the song? Jesus, be the fence all around me every day. Mark and I are the only ones that know it. Jesus, I want you to protect me as I travel along the way. Yes, Daryl. I know you can. Yes, Lord. I know you will. Yes, Lord. Fight my battles if I keep still. Lord, be a fence all around me every day. Remember that song? Three of us. Daryl, me, and Mark. It's the gospel girl in here. It was all the years of Mark putting me in choir. 
I love Fred Hammond's song, but come on. I think we, we pray these kind of prayers like, Jesus, be a fence. Jesus, protect me. Jesus, surround me. And Jesus is like, I already am a fence. I already have done that for you. Why are you praying for me to be who I already am? Like, I've already got the victory. I've already surrounded you. I've made this very clear. I have victory. I've given you all that you need. You're successful. You're on the winning team. And I think Jesus goes, why don't you pray that you'd learn to be on guard? That you'd be watchful, that you'd stay awake, that you'd be alert to what the enemy wants to bring. We just like to pray, Jesus, protect me. Make sure I don't fall into any evil today. Don't let any evil come at me. I think Jesus is like, I got that already. What I need you to do is I need you to be on guard. Like a dude, like a guard on duty, like you're a security guard and you're watchful and you know what's coming. That's what happens in prayer. You ever feel agitated and confused and frustrated? You don't know what's going on and you just sit in your frustration and you get on Netflix and you watch 13 hours of a dumb show when all that God is saying is go to me in prayer. Be watchful. There's something that's trying to distract you. How do you know? You go to prayer. So we have to be watchful. We have to keep our minds focused on the victory of Jesus. And then Paul says, how do you do this? You continue steadfastly in prayer. You be watchful in prayer. And then you go to prayer with thanksgiving. I love this. You know what this means to me? You know what this meant to Paul? You know what Paul is trying to say? Is that when you pray, you're praying with full assurance, all the confidence that God has already accomplished all the victory. That you have all the resources. That anything you come up against is no match for God. That whatever challenges and circumstances and suffering and all those things that we face, when you go to God in prayer, you can go to God in prayer and you can look at him as the victor. When you pray, you look at the victory of Jesus. You're not on the losing team, you're on the winning side. So this is how Paul instructs us. You want to live on mission? Okay, learn how to pray. And this is how you do it. You devote to it. You make it an everyday, ordinary part of your life. It is the best part of your morning. It's the best part of your day. And then you're watchful. You're like a, you're like a guard dog on duty. You're not going to let anything come near. He's going to distract you and push you off track and get you away from the mission that God has called you to. It's ridiculous. And then you're going to be thankful because you trust that God has already accomplished all that he wants to in your life. And you get to live in that victory so you can be thankful. So we've learned, this is how we pray. Then we transition to verse three, and it says, at the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery, mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So we just learned in verse two how to pray. Now Paul is gonna tell us, now this is what you pray for. You wanna be on mission? You want to do what I'm doing? You want to do what God has called you to do? Then this is what you need to pray for. And the first thing he says, and I love this about Paul, the humility of Paul, first of all. He says, pray for me. Pray for us. Those of us who are preaching the gospel, we're traveling around, we're probably exhausted. You know, some are persecuting us. I'm sitting in prison. I'm writing this. Some, you know, some of my people are this way and over here. Pray for us. You know what the first thing you need to pray for? The first group you need to pray for is each other. Pray for the missionaries. I don't mean just those ones in remote parts of the world. I'm talking about the people sitting right next to you in this service that are on mission with you. Who's the person sitting next to you? Who are the ones in your small group? Who are the ones that you attend service with? Who are the ones you go to lunch with after church? Pray for all of us who are on mission. 
You know the greatest thing you can do for another human being? The greatest thing you can do for another human being is pray for them. It's the greatest thing. There's nothing greater. I mean, encouragement is awesome, like, but half the time you're not sure if they're really being honest. Let's be true. Uh, but encouragement is great. All these things are great. But the greatest thing you can do for another person is pray for them. Why? Why would I say such a bold statement? Because you can't hate someone you pray for every day. You can't do it. Try it. You can't withhold forgiveness from someone you pray for every single day. You can't do it. You can't gossip or slander someone you pray for every day. You cannot live in community with people unless you pray for them every day. When you begin to pray for those that you're on mission with, oh man, it's amazing how God brings you together and opens doors of opportunities for you to tell people about Jesus. We are stronger together. So Paul says, I don't care. Paul's like, I'm, I'm Apostle Paul. I'm Apostle Paul. I've started so many churches. I've done so many missionaries. Now I'm in prison because I'm, you know, I've done so much for the gospel. And he still tells these young Christians in Colossae, barely know Jesus, right? They're not established. They're not ready to get on a stage and preach. They're not apostles by any means. They're, they're weak in their faith. And he still tells them, hey, why don't you pray for me? Because he knows that prayer is powerful. And he knows he needs them to pray for him. So he says, pray for us. And the other thing he says to do is pray for open doors. Pray for opportunities. Pray that God would open an opportunity for you to do that, what God has called you to do. So pray for an opportunity. There's something powerful about praying for an open door, isn't there? God can do something amazing. When we ask God, oh, God, just open this door for me. I, I don't know what, what's behind it. I don't know. I just have a sense, like, uh, just do what you want to do. God comes in and opens doors. So then we move to verse 4, which is a transitional verse. Remember in the original Greek um, text that was written, it didn't have chapters and verses like we have in our English translation. So if you would have read the Bible in Greek in the first century, you wouldn't have had all these breaks, right? of chapters. You wouldn't know it was chapter four. It was a letter. First of all, what letter have you ever written that had chapters and verses? I made my point. Thank you. Um, if you do, that's awesome. Um, but we don't write letters that way. We write a letter like a letter. And so we get confused sometimes with scripture or certain verses in the Bible. They're like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this verse chapter or verse four says that, that I may make it clear, um, which is how I ought to speak is what we would call a purpose clause in the text, which basically means this. It's the why or for what reason the previous verse was. So it's basically this transitional purpose clause that tells us, hey, this is important. Let me, I'm reiterating the point I just made is basically what it means. This is what Paul's saying. I'm reiterating the point that I may make it clear. I'm reiterating that the reason I can sit here in chains, that I can be in prison, that I can declare the mystery of Christ. This is what Paul's saying. The reason I can do it, the why behind it, the reason behind it is this. I know and have a deep sense of my mission. He can suffer, and, and he knows it's okay because Paul has a deep sense of the mission that God has called him to. He knows. He can declare the mystery of Christ even in prison because he knows the mission that God has called him to, and that's to tell people about Jesus, to walk in this. So we move to verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. This might be my favorite verse. 
Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Who are outsiders? Earlier in the text, probably the earlier part of Colossians, if um, Paul ever was referencing people who were outside of the church or didn't know, he's usually talking about people maybe that were attending church, but they were falling into false doctrine or false teaching. Here, most likely, this word outsider simply means people who don't know Jesus yet. People who are not within the community. People who are, who are on the outskirts that haven't been brought in yet. He's speaking to these. Walk in wisdom towards those people. Walk in wisdom towards people who don't know Jesus. That haven't had an encounter with God yet. You need to walk in wisdom towards them. Those that have been persuaded by things that are not true. And Paul comes to tell us, guys, I've given you all the tools you need to walk wisely. Do you not remember Colossians 1, Colossians 2, Colossians 3? I've given you all the tools you need. There's nothing else you need. You what? You put off things and you put on these things. I've taught you everything. You are in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. You are a part of God's family. I've given you all. It's all been infused into their brains who they are. And now Paul's coming to say, now walk it out. Walk wisely. Walk wisely because you have all the tools you need to do it. And the problem is, how many of us know that we might have the tools, but we don't always live it out? Do you walk it out every day? I don't. This week, I got in my car and drove out of my my garage, and all of a sudden, my car, like, made this weird noise and, like, started beeping and flashing, and was, like, my tire was, like, going flat. And so I'm like, oh, gosh, great way to start the day. So I drive to Starbucks first because I knew it would be a long time at the tire shop. I was like, well, this is going to be a great morning. So I went and got a Starbucks, and I drove to Les Schwab Tire. No offense to any other tire place. It just is the only one I knew where it was. So I go to Les Schwab, and I walk in, and I'm like, you know, I got an indication something's wrong with my tire. I'm like, oh, okay, no, we'll fix it. So I sit down. I'm literally reading Colossians for you guys. I'm reading commentaries. I know I'm about to preach, so I'm reading through it with my coffee, sitting in a waiting room first thing in the morning, much earlier than I wanted to be sitting in a tire shop waiting room. And they smell weird, and I didn't like that. And so I'm sitting there, and this lady walks in and sits down. And she, she's kind of moving around a lot, which distracts me. I'm kind of like, I'm trying to read my Bible. Like, you know, could you not? And um, she's, like, walking around and doing all this stuff. And then I don't, can someone explain this to me? Why is there a popcorn machine in these places? Why do car places love popcorn? Like, I think it adds to the weird smell of tires already. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's like, it's like barely 9 a.m. And this lady goes and gets goes and gets some popcorn. I mean, she didn't have her protein bar or her eggs that morning, so she needed to get a, some popcorn. And, I mean, God bless her. But she really liked that popcorn. And every sound of, like, her getting the popcorn out of that bag, it was more the sound of, like, I was like, oh, my God. I, I want to throw that popcorn, like, in her face. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but almost not. Um, but I was, like, so, you know how you're so irritated? It's like, why are you eating popcorn? This is ridiculous. And then I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm reading Colossians. I am not walking wisely. Um, and then, to just to add to it, then, you know, there's, like, 14,000 seats, you know, open in the waiting room. And a guy walks in and sits, like, right next to me. And I was like, wait seriously? Like there's so, that's like my pet peeve. Like I'm a space person. It's like, give me space. Like I can't breathe. I'm suffocating. I'm claustrophobic. Like I can't, I'm like, what are you doing? And then he gets his phone out and starts watching videos full blast, full volume, full volume. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? 
I about lost my salvation in that moment. I go take my headphones, I turn worship music up because guys, I'm so spiritual. Worship music, reading my Bible, and I'm so annoyed at everyone. Worst Christian ever. And it dawned on me in that moment that I was not walking wisely, that I wasn't making the best use of an opportunity or time. And I sat there, I started laughing. I laughed out loud. I was like, oh my gosh. And I went back to Colossians 3 and I said, what am I going to put on? And I put on compassionate heart, put on humility, put on kindness, put on patience, long suffering with the woman in the popcorn, put on love above all. We have all the tools we need to live wisely. God wants us to use these. You know, we have a new way of thinking because of Colossians. Paul has taught us which thus gives us a new way of living. We have a new way of thinking so we can have a new way of living, living wisely and walking wisely. Maybe that's why Paul asks for prayer. (laughs) I was sitting there going, maybe this is why Paul had to ask for prayer because he knew he was gonna get frustrated sometime and that he was gonna fall out of the putting on part and forget who he really was in Jesus. So maybe Paul asks for prayer just like you and I need to ask for prayer because you know what? We don't want to fall into forgetting who we are in Jesus and missing an opportunity. And then he goes on to say, making the best use of your time. Time here is the word kairos in the Greek, which is just an opportune time. It's, a, it's important. You might never get this moment again. This moment is right here, right now. You might never get it again. Have you ever felt that in a moment? You're like, this is this one time, one chance of a lifetime. You got it. This is, this is what Paul, this is the word Paul is using. It's kairos. It's an opportune time. It's, he gives this like eschatological sense of time, which is like, you know, Jesus, the new creation has come to earth, but the second coming hasn't come yet. So it's, we're living within this tension of already, not yet, right? Already God is like heaven and earth have collided. Pastor Chris talks about this all the time. We're living in new creation, but but it's not the second coming, so we're not living in that redemptive bodies yet. We don't have all that. So we're living in this tension of already, not yet. And still Paul uses the word kairos. He says, no, this is an opportune time. you got to do this. This already, not yet. It's how I feel about, do I turn on the heater right now? Is it cold? Is it going to be hot by 5 o'clock? So it's like that already, not yet. Like That's what we're living in this tension. And Paul is telling us, time is pregnant with purpose. Time right now, your opportunity is pregnant with purpose. You got to make the best use of it. You can't miss it. You got to be aware. And how are you aware? How are you sensitive to these opportunities? How are you sensitive to time? You pray. And it comes through prayer. We're living in this tension of time. Every minute is precious. Every opportunity is bursting with something God can do. Every single encounter you have with someone means something and matters. And an important moment, you might not even realize the importance of it till later on. I know growing up in church, I, brought, I used to bring a friend who didn't know Jesus, didn't go to church. And I'd bring her to church with me whenever, you know, she wanted to. She'd, she'd probably sleep over at our house on Saturday night. I'd bring her to Saturday night prayer. And, I mean, she did not know Jesus. And, like, we're speaking in tongues. And, also, and I was like, oh, gosh, she's going to think we're crazy and we're super weird. I'd bring her to church with me. And then she'd come to church sometimes on Sunday mornings. And, you know, I, I never knew if she accepted Jesus. We'd talk about God. And, but I'd always keep bringing her around. And she knew who I was. And she knew my faith. And she knew who my parents were and all that. And, After high school, I didn't see her again. And a few weeks ago, I was on a plane coming back to Boise. And I look up, and I see my best friend from high school walking down the center aisle. And we looked at each other. We haven't seen each other since high school. And we were both like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And a few nights later, we went and had dinner. And and she turned to me, and she said, "I I just want you to know I'm so thankful 
for all the times you invited me to church. All the times I went to prayer with you guys. She goes, even when I come to town and I drive by the church, I just, I feel, I, I, I just get excited because the only reason I know anything about God is because of you. And then she says, I want that for my kids. Now I want to give them that opportunity. And I remember thinking, I never thought that was really that great. I honestly felt like she thought we were weird. And like, she'd be like, oh gosh, I don't want to go. You never know what an opportunity, you don't know what a Kairos moment does in someone's life. And not just for one life, for generations. Make the most use and best use of any opportunity and every time. And then our last verse says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know what you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. What does that mean? I don't know. I think in a lot of ways it just means not living in a holy huddle where you and your Christian buddies only know what you're talking about. You know what mission isn't? Mission is not exclusive. Mission will never be exclusive. If you live on mission, you're inclusive. So your language has to be. Your talk has to be. You can't, you can't walk around in the language of Zion like this is how we talk, you know? It's like, who, who, who's going to understand that? Missional living is inclusive. And you have to live within, you have to be able to speak that into people's life. We're living on mission. And we have to have regular conversation to do it. We got to speak to people and talk with them. And then we have to have our words seasoned with salt. I love this. The title of this talk really is being salty. Living on mission and being salty. Do you know what it means to live like a salty Christian? Well, Paul is probably referencing the idiom that was common in the day and would probably be referenced even today. We would know it. What did salt do then and it does now? It adds value. It makes something that's bland more interesting, right? It preserves. Salt in that day would preserve meat. So in their mind, Paul's using this word salt. It means it's preserving God's message. It's preserving this thing. It's adding value to something. So when your words are seasoned with salt... It's doing something more than you can imagine. It's adding value. Paul is probably referencing Jesus' own words in Matthew when he says, Blessed are you when others rival you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they were persecuted, the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Can you imagine seeing someone who has been persecuted, who has been betrayed, and they rejoice? That's like really tasteful, right? Have you ever forgiven someone who's betrayed you or hurt you? And it feels super unnatural, right? But it's amazing all at the same time. It tastes good. Have you ever lived in that reality where you're suffering, but you trust God? It tastes good. You know how we can show the world that we're salty? You know how we can live missionally as salty Christians? Is that even when difficulties are in our world and we're facing suffering or facing difficulties, we show the world that we're just satisfied with Jesus. We're just satisfied with Jesus. I don't need earthly rewards. I don't need affirmation from people. I don't need this. I don't need get rich quick schemes. I don't need celebrity status. I don't need to be like this person or be like that. That doesn't draw anyone to Jesus. You know what does? 
someone who is salty, that in the midst of difficulties and circumstances and persecution and suffering can still rejoice that God is greater and bigger and more wonderful. You're overwhelmed by God's goodness. A non-missional Christian is this. They get overwhelmed by the things going on in their life. A missional Christian is one who gets overwhelmed by Jesus and his beauty and his love and his goodness. And when you live like that, people will hear what you want to say and they will crave the way you live. We're to be missional. We're to be like Christ. Joyful suffering is salty. Living like this, it's... It's, it's what God's called us to be. We think of missionaries, right? It's far off places, doing far off things, doing these amazing things in remote places. But actually, you're a missionary. I'm a missionary. We're all on mission. And I think the thing that God wants to bring back to, and wants to refresh in our communities, in our church, is this. We need a fresh wisdom. We need fresh wisdom to live on mission. We need fresh wisdom to live on mission and a renewed heart for prayer. These two are married, prayer and mission. You wanna live on mission? You wanna be salty? You wanna know your place? You wanna know what God's called you to do? You do this, you pray and you live on mission and you give God every part of you and you show the world the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the holiness of God. You are a missionary, amen. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com. 